0: In just a few minutes, uh, we will look at two primary passages of scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. If you'd like to go ahead and find your way there in those passages of scripture, whether you're using the, the Bible or your Bible app or whatever it might be, um, those are in there, they're on our website as well. Have you ever thought about what the church is actually supposed to be doing in the world? I mean, what is the church supposed to be accomplishing uh, as it exists? Seems that uh, that would be an excellent question to ask. If we asked people what the mission of the church is, I wonder what they would say. That might depend on whether or not they're a believer or not and whether they even know anything about what a church is or what a church is supposed to accomplish. I read a story this week about a grocery store owner in England and he had to make a hard decision that he was going to have to ban all customers from coming into his store. He said that he was forced to take such drastic action because of people's bad manners. First he banned smoking, then crude language, then baby strollers, then pets, and finally customers themselves. Shoppers must now look through the window, spot the items they want, then ring a bell and be served through a small hatch in the door. The owner admitted, I've lost business, but I cannot say how much, but I am a man of principles and I stand by my decision. Doesn't seem too far-fetched in today's world, does it? It seems like the store owner actually lost sight of his mission. We may hear a story like that and think, well, that sounds crazy or that sounds far-fetched, or maybe even that sounds absurd. But i tell you the story to relate just how easy it is for the church to lose sight of its mission. If churches are not careful, what ends up happening is they begin to accumulate things, things like programs that were legitimate when they started. But over time, those running the programs have forgotten the church's mission. And so they drift off course. And what ends up happening is the church is cluttered with all of these cherished things, whether they're programs or this, that, or the other, and they keep people busy in the church but they fail to help the church work towards its mission. And so the church will be doing things that can be considered good things, but they have forgotten the main thing. And this is why we must answer and always return to the question, what does the church do? Or what is the mission of the church? This morning, I want to give you the mission of the church In a nutshell, the church's mission is to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel to the lost and making disciples that make disciples. The church's mission is to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel to the lost and making disciples that make disciples. Now, there's all kinds of different ways to say what I just said. J.I. Packer says this, the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness bearing. In their book, What is the Mission of the Church? Greg Gilbert and Kevin DeYoung write this, The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship and obey Jesus Christ now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. I want us this morning to read two passages of scripture that lend themselves to what I believe is revealing the mission of the church. And so I'd ask that if you are willing and able, would you please stand out of respect for God's word as we read Matthew chapter twenty-eight verses eighteen through twenty, and then flip back and read Matthew twenty-two verses thirty-seven through forty. First, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through twenty, reading from the English Standard Version. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, take your word this morning and penetrate our hearts and our lives. Help me to proclaim the truth of your word this morning. I pray that we would listen, that we would respond, that you would speak to us this morning on what does the church do? And then, Lord, we'd ask ourselves, are we doing that? And then, Lord, if we're not doing it, how can we do that? Speak to us this morning. Speak for your saints are listening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat our church has a vision statement that you can read on our website if you desire to do so it says this we desire to reach the lives of people whose culture is always changing with the transforming gospel that never changes discipling them into faithful followers of christ and sending them out to reach the nations our mission statement is briefer than that it says this we exist to glorify jesus christ by calling people to know him to grow in him and to show him to others. In our mission statement, we have an upward focus to glorify God. We have an inward focus to grow in Christ and help others do the same. And we have an outward focus to call people to know Christ and to show Christ to other people. The whole process is not complete until those that we've called to know Christ are showing Christ to others and calling them to know Christ. And so it is disciples making disciples. So why don't we begin to unpack what exactly the church does? First, I want us to see that the church glorifies God through gospel proclamation. The church glorifies God through gospel proclamation. Now, what does it mean to glorify God? Well, if we are giving something glory, what we are saying is, uh, uh, what we mean is that we're exalting or we are making that thing look good. And so when we give god glory we are exalting him or making him look good as he truly is this is not because he needs us to make him look good it's solely because he is the only one worthy of receiving this glorification the gospel is the good news it is at the it is at the heart of the church glorifying god how so well because God sent his own son, right? So that so that he would pay the penalty for sinners so that he can then offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life as a free gift to all those who believe in him. It's an exaltation of love, grace, holiness, and justice of God. So when we proclaim the gospel, we are glorifying. God. now if we look at the ministry of Jesus we quickly notice that it centered upon gospel proclamation gospel mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 we'd read now after John was arrested Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel then we fast forward to the very end of his ministry just before Jesus ascends And what does he do? He entrusts his followers with the Great Commission, which we read. All four Gospels in the book of Acts have a different version of the Great Commission, which reveals to us that Jesus uh, repeated the emphasis in various forms. We have what we read in Matthew 28 18 through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, we read, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The gospel was a foundation for the ministry of the apostle Paul as well. When he was Hoping to visit the church in Rome, listen to what he writes in Romans chapter 1. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He reminds the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses one through four. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you that which was of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for us, or for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, And he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel was a foundation in the founding of the church at Thessalonica. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse two. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 and 9. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also your own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. The gospel. This morning, I want to make three observations about our mission when it comes to proclaiming the gospel three observations that we must hold close to our heart when it comes to proclaiming the gospel observation number one we must use words we must use words you're probably like well duh but many of us have perhaps heard the quote. Preach the gospel, if necessary, use words, which is falsely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. The problem is he never said it. Even though people say he said it, he never said that. The problem is that whole quote, it creates a false dichotomy between the use of words and action. Furthermore, we must understand that the gospel is inherently verbal in nature. And to think that we preach the gospel simply by our actions is, to be honest, absurd. I doubt anybody has had some actions and somebody just comes running up to you, beating down your door. You must, you must know the gospel. I got to know what you know just from your actions. Furthermore, we must, we must understand that, that. It takes words to tell people the gospel. It seems impossible to preach the gospel without words. Yet Christians all over have duped themselves into thinking that no words are necessary and have used it as a cop-out from true evangelism. They say things like, well, I just let my life preach. Some people may not want to read that sermon. Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians 4, 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may be clear which is how I ought to speak. In Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, Paul asked for prayer that he would be bold in proclaiming the gospel Knowing One would think that Paul would need prayer for the gospel. That he wouldn't need, would need prayer to be bold and, and clearly present the gospel, yet Paul feels like he did. And I'm left asking myself, if the apostle Paul needed clarity and boldness when it comes to gospel proclamation, how much more do I need it? You see, Satan is the father of lies, church. And he's the master of deception. And when it comes to the gospel, he seeks to muddy the water and make it un, not understandable in galatia the judaizers they believe that they were saved by grace through faith in christ sounds great isn't that how we believe we are saved there's one problem they tacked on circumcision and keeping the jewish ceremonial laws what does paul do about this how does he address them he strongly labels it a different gospel, and which in reality was no gospel at all. And he calls down God's condemnation on these false teachers in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. All through the New Testament, right up to the churches in the book of Revelation, we see there are many forms of false teaching that had already infected the church. And that infection has continued right down throughout church history. Let me be honest, we do not have. To look very far to know that we are surrounded by multiple heirs when it comes to the gospel of jesus christ there are many who profess following christ and many called to water down and muddy the gospel of jesus christ just like those judaizers by adding human merit and good works to the gospel so well you got to do this plus faith in christ as a requirement for salvation if we look at the prosperity gospel, we see appeals to greed and selfishness by, by, uh, by a promise of, hey, you're going to have a great life. And you'll have a life of wealth if you just believe in Jesus. Or the gospel is like the best self-help book out there, right? If you want a happy life, you want a happy wife, you want a happy family, you want personal sex, success, just come to Jesus and he'll give you all that. Or others will tell you, as long as you said that sinner's prayer, then you're saved. doesn't matter how you live, as long as you said this prayer, it's like a secret little prayer, then you're saved. And then we can add all the various forms of legalism that plague the church, which makes salvation contingent on following rules that the Bible never commands us to follow in the first place. And so then we start to question people's salvation based upon the rules that they don't follow that we think they should be following. You ever experience that, right? Somebody does something that, that you think that this is a the rule they should be following. Suddenly they're lost. Oh, that fella, he showed up to church with a tattoo. He must not be saved. We think, well, that's crazy. No, it's not. It happens all the time. So when it comes to the gospel, we have to use words but we also have to make sure the message is clear to those whom Satan is blinded. The gospel is the message of salvation from God's eternal judgment. We all have sinned. We all deserve the righteous judgment of God. Jesus Christ, who is God in the human flesh, died in the place of sinners, Bearing the penalty that you and I deserve, God justifies, declares righteous, and freely gives eternal life to every single sinner who repents and believes in Jesus Christ. So we must use words, and we must make them clear. Secondly, when it comes to gospel proclamation, we must proclaim to all people. We must proclaim to all people. The gospel is not a message to be hoarded, but it's the truth to be heralded. The Great Commission is not just for America, but it extends to the entire world. Because Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. Jesus purchased for God with his own blood those from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, according to Revelation five nine. The nations will glorify God before his throne forever and ever. The church must be committed to the cause of world missions in some way, shape, or form. John Stott says this, The highest motive for missions is not obedience to the Great Commission, nor even love for sinners. Rather, it is a passionate zeal for the glory of God. John Piper says that missions exist because worship doesn't. We bring glory to God when we proclaim the gospel to not just some people or to the people that we like or or the people that like us or the people that we get along with or to our best friend. We bring glory to God when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people. Third, when it comes to gospel proclamation, we must back it up with Christ-like love. We must back it up with Christ-like love. And what I mean by this is that our Christ-like love is a foundation for our verbal witness. Now, how did Jesus say people would know that we are his disciples? That if we have love for one another, right? That's what he says, if we love one another, people will know that you are my disciples. Paul reminded the the, uh, church at Thessalonica that, that he imparted to them not just the gospel, but his own life, and then he goes on to remind them Of his godly behavior that backed up his gospel witness listen Satan has continually used hypocrisy of those who profess to be Christians but live a life that's just like the rest of the world to undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ so what exactly are we talking about when we speak of love for other people then invariably people always want to know about social ministries after all isn't the church called to meet the needs of the of the physically uh, meet physical needs and to meet the needs of the poor obviously we wouldn't be loving our neighbor if we proclaim the gospel to them yet we leave them starving that's not very loving yet at the same time it would not be loving to feed them and not proclaim the gospel to them in other words meeting a social need may be a means to evangelism But simply meeting a social need is not a substitute for evangelism. So when you feed the hungry, that's not necessarily evangelism. When you feed the hungry and share the gospel, that is evangelism. So by all means, we should seek to meet social needs and share the gospel while we're meeting social needs. Evangelism is telling people the good news about Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation that he offers to them. And their book, What is the Mission of the Church? Do Young and Gilbert explain why we must focus on the gospel. In the end, the Great Commission must be the mission of the church for two very basic reasons. There is something worse than death, and there is something better than human flourishing. The something worse than death is to spend eternity in hell. And the something better than human flourishing is to spend eternity in the presence of God, enjoying his eternal pleasures and riches of his grace. However, the mission of the church has to go beyond evangelism. That is a part of it. That we proclaim the gospel to all people. Gospel proclamation has to be part of the mission of the church, but it goes beyond that. Secondly, the church glorifies God. Notice all these will start with the church glorifies God because that's the primary mission we glorify God. The church glorifies God by making disciples who love God and one another. The church glorifies God by making disciples who love God and one another. The task of the Great Commission is not just to make converts, but to make disciples. A believer's baptism is their initial act of obedience to Christ It signifies that they're being identified with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It is a picture of the death to our old life and a, uh, raising up to walk in a newness of life. We are also, told uh, to teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. We never reach the pinnacle of learning. It's a lifelong process to know Jesus more and more. However, if a person professes to know Jesus as savior and never seeks to grow in obedience to his commands, then their profession of faith is shaky at best and non-existent at worst. When we read this, we should be asking ourselves this question. When, when we read the Great Commission and it says that, that Jesus says to observe all that I have commanded, the question should follow, well, what did Jesus command? Right? If that's what we're supposed to be teaching people, then we should naturally ask the question, what did Jesus command? And there are dozens, hundreds actually, of commandments in the Bible. Where are we supposed to start? At what point can someone say, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus because I obey his commands? Well, it just happens that Jesus summed up all 613 commandments of the law into two, which he said were the greatest commandments, which we read earlier, right? Matthew 22:37 through 40. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets so our job is to make disciples that obey Jesus's commands which are summed up in loving God and loving others first disciples love God above all else disciples love God above all loving God is a lifelong process it's never going to be perfected in this life imagine if you went home to your spouse and you said well I've reached it. I've reached the pinnacle of loving you. I can love you no more. That would be crazy. It's the same with God. It's a lifelong process. When we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we begin to love him and love the Father who sent him for our salvation. We seek to please him solely because we are his children and we grow in our love of God. It involves us hating the sin that put the Savior on the cross. Psalm 97.10 tells us that we're to hate evil if we love the Lord. Jesus even said to his disciples that we must hate our own families and our own lives compared to our love for him. Love for God is to be first and foremost in our lives. This is an area that we will continually grow in and never reach perfection in. Love for God also includes our worship of him in spirit and in truth. I got to thinking about that. and So... It's like, well, what does it mean that we love God and we worship him in spirit and in truth? I found this definition of of worship. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, and to open the heart to the love of God, and devote your will to the purpose of God. Quicken your conscience to the holiness of God. Feed your mind with the truth of God. Purge your imagination by the beauty of God. Open your heart to the love of God. Devote your will to the purpose of God. That's worship. John MacArthur says this. Worship is our innermost being, responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, through our actions, through our thoughts and words based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. Or more briefly, MacArthur says this, worship is all that we are, reacting rightly to all that God is. Of course, if we want our corporate gatherings to be filled with worship, sometimes people say, well, I just, I wish our church was just filled with more worship. If you want that, then you have to be worshiping God in private, in your individual lives. If you want the church to be filled with worship you have to worship in private don't complain about the church not being filled with worship if you're not worshiping God in private we aren't worshiping God in in truth unless we're growing both in our understanding and our application of the truth of God's word you see disciples love God above all secondly disciples build one another up in love disciples build one another up in love We must understand that Christ-like love for one another is a primary mark of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. As Paul explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can have all the gifts and all of the knowledge and even have great faith. But if you lack in love, you are nothing. The very first fruit of the Spirit that is mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 is love. Just like our love for God, we must grow in our love for one another. What that means is that we have to work through relational conflicts and misunderstandings, whether they be in our homes or in our church. And we do so with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Paul explains to us that the church is to exercise our God-given gifts of building up one another in love does this in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 and he gave the Apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and the teachers to equip the Saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children that are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by uh, carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way and to him who is the head and to Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, is, uh, which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what this does is it makes the goal as the pastor teacher One of my goals is to equip you for the service so that you grow in Christ, so that you then exercise your gifts to one another, which will result in a church that grows in love. Trust me, I don't prepare sermons to stand up here and hear myself talk. I don't like hearing myself talk, to be honest with you. Sometimes I have my podcast app opened up and it'll go to our church and my sermon starts playing. i like, nope, skip. I don't, I don't like listening to myself. I, I do try to review my stuff. It's to equip you. So you come in here and say, what's a what's church about? What is a church supposed to do? This is to equip you. So you know what the church is supposed to do. So then you do it. That's the whole point. And so that we grow in love that's the whole point of this now here's the issue some churches are very good at loving one another and the problem is they become inward focused and if we're inward focused only we are not becoming christ-like disciples jesus summed up his own mission in luke chapter 19 verse 10 we said this for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost therefore point number three the church glorifies god by making disciples who make disciples if the church is not making disciples that make disciples then ultimately the church is merely talking to ourselves We would be like doctors that only see patients that are well and are never sick. Jesus came into the world to call sinners to repentance. Those repentant sinners then go out and make disciples of others who need to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as those repentant sinners become disciples, they make disciples. In other words, the local church is supposed to grow by a process of multiplication. Where disciples are making disciples who make disciples who then make more disciples. Every believer is ultimately a product of that process. If you are here this morning or you're listening online or you listen to this another time, if you are a believer, you are a product of the process of disciple making. In other words, a disciple shared the gospel with you and you became a disciple. The question is, did you break the chain? You get that? Somebody shared with you, you became a disciple, and now you either share and make another disciple, or you say, man, I'm going to hoard this. And this is where most churches fail to grow, and their, their growth wanes. You see, churches get stuck on the wrong thing. They will say things like, if only we just had an awesome children's ministry, or if only we had a great student ministry, if only we had this super cool Kicking worship band up here. If only our pastor was cooler. You see, the, the church looks to the wrong things to fix the problem. The problem's not the pastor, the problem's not the building, the problem's not the, the people leading music, the problem's not the ministries. It's none of that. You know what the problem is when a church isn't growing? You. And that's a hard thing to say. Those are the kind of things that get you fired. You. If a church isn't growing, you're the problem. It's not, oh, we don't have enough space. Look around. We got plenty of space in here. If the church doesn't grow, we're the problem. It's us because disciples make disciples we don't want to admit that we're failing to be disciples because it's hard to admit it right it's hard to look at yourself in the mirror and go lord i'm not doing what i'm supposed to be doing i'm not making disciples because it's far easier to blame it on something else or someone else it's far easier to blame the pastor or the other person in the pew or the people leading the music or this that or the other it's far easier to blame that than to say i'm the problem this is how paul put it to his disciple timothy in second timothy 2 2 and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also there are four generations of disciples representing that verse you have paul You have Timothy, you have faithful men that Timothy taught, and you have these faithful men who also teach. So if you've come to faith in Christ, but you're not making disciples, the process gets short-circuited. And you're not functioning as a true disciple who's making other disciples. And this requires that we actually get to know others, right? That we impart to them what we have learned and practiced in our walk and in our faith with Christ. It's not a one-way street either. When Paul had hoped to go to Rome, he said that he wanted to impart some spiritual gift to them so that they would be established in their faith. But then he quickly adds that that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So this veteran apostle Paul acknowledges that he would grow through being with them as they would grow through being with him. Now, I just, some folks look at me and you're like, well, you're a pastor. You just spend all kinds of time reading books and you're like a theology nerd. And you're right, I am. I do like theology. I do like reading books. Granted, but I love spending time with people and listening to their stories and hear them talk and tell me, What's going on in their life? I learned so much. I learned so much. And it helps me in my walk. I I learned something this morning. I'm not going to share it with you. I learned something this morning about someone. And it's just, I'm just like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And it helps me then just kind of build things out in my mind and understand people. Disciples have to be making disciples. You can't blame church growth on someone else church you have to look at yourself so what does the church do there once was a british bus company that received a complaint that their drivers were speeding past lines of up to 30 people that were waiting to get on the bus the company decided that the best course of action was to defend their drivers so they stated and i quote it is impossible For the drivers to keep their timetable if they have to stop for passengers the company also commented get rid of the people and the system runs fine why do I share this because we could say the same thing about church right if it weren't for all the people this church would be great We can't lose sight of our purpose as a church to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel to the lost and making disciples that make disciples. And if we decide that we will focus on something else, we will get off course. Lastly, let me ask you this morning, are you part of the church? And what I mean by that is, have you ever trusted in Christ as your savior? If you don't know Christ, then you're not part of the church. And this message is relatively meaningless because it doesn't matter what the church does if you don't know Christ. You need to first take care of your relationship with Christ so you're part of God's family. And then you can make another disciple. You can be a disciple and made a disciple. So, well, how do I do that? You can do that by praying something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are God's son. You died to forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. I want to live for, for you the rest of my life. It's not magic. You so, Pastor, why do you say that every week? Well, because there's people online. I don't know when somebody's going to hear this. I want them to know how to be saved. It's not a magic prayer. Christ saves you if you trust in him. And your prayer is simply an expression of your trust to him. If you said that prayer or something like it, I would love to follow up with you. You can come forward in this service. You can text the word FAITH to 309-328-3488. Word FAITH to 309-328-3488. You can do that in your pew if you want to, and I can follow up with you. Lastly, I'd ask you this. Are you a part of this local church? Are you glorifying God as part of it through gospel proclamation by making disciples that love God and love others and by making disciples that make disciples? Have you broken the chain? If you have what you need to do is ask God to forgive you. You need to ensure that you're on mission you're proclaiming the gospel that you're making disciples that love God above all and love one another and that you're making disciples that make disciples I would invite you to respond to this message this morning let's close a prayer Father I thank you for this word Lord sometimes it's Hard. It's hard to say the things I know you want me to say. Because, Lord, sometimes I know it's going to cut. And so, Father, I pray that if that was anybody this morning, message cut to their heart if somebody reflected on their life and they said I've broken the chain I'm not a disciple that's making disciples maybe they do a lot of complaining I don't know God would you break us would we call out to you in repentance Lord we want it be a church that grows because we're on mission. We're following after you. We want to be a church that's glorifying you because of gospel proclamation. That's glorifying you because we are making disciples that love you above all and encourage and build one another up in love. A church that's glorifying God because we're making disciples that make disciples. And Lord, if we are failing, reveal that in our heart. We call out to you and repent. We examine our own life, examine our own heart in true worship this morning. And then Lord, there are those that have heard this message. They don't know you. I pray today would be the day of salvation for them today they would confess Christ as their Savior and be a part of the church. There may be many ways you've spoken to us this morning, God, and and maybe we don't need to come forward, maybe we just need to stay in our pew, whatever it is. I pray that we would respond in however you're calling us to respond. And that we'd give you all praise and all glory for what you're going to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, you'd be willing to come this morning.